The Guardian. Ever since the first mass coral reef bleaching events, images from the plight of the world's reefs have become an emblem for our escalating environmental crisis. Coral reefs are typically highly sensitive to environmental transition. Warming oceans are one example of the consequences of our changing climate that send the thriving ecosystems around coral reefs into terminal decline. When bleached, these multicolored, vibrant, and surprisingly loud underwater worlds turn silent and a ghostly bright white. It's a story we've heard before on Science Weekly. I had in mind that the Great Barrier Reef was this kaleidoscope of colour and this symphony of sound and this complete bustle of life, you know, underwater city of the sea type thing. This is Professor Tim Gordon from Exeter University recalling a visit to a bleached reef in Australia from our Oceans of Noise series back in 2019. What? I was met with was not what I was used to seeing on TV, but this dying rubble field. It was really heartbreaking. But now, researchers have uncovered new insights into the behaviour of some reefs. Do these offer new hope for the future of these incredible habitats? I'm Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. I spoke to marine biologist Professor Maus Fine from Bar Elan University to find out more. Hey Maus. Hi Ian. How's lockdown been for you? Not too bad actually. Since out of my window I can see the reef and the Red Sea, it's pretty good. Uh, the first wave was pretty easy, the, uh, the second now it's uh, hitting us harder, but we've been able to dive and work in the water continuously, so it's all good for us. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about the coral reefs you've been researching in the Gulf of Aqaba and the Northern Red Sea in general. What's this scene like? What is the, the Gulf of Aqaba? So I'm, I'm the lucky person sitting now in an office watching a relatively narrow body of crystal clear water. And very close to shore, we have these wonderful coral reefs, which are fringing reefs, meaning they're very close to shore. We don't have to um, sail far away from shore to see uh, reefs. We have to make a few steps offshore and uh, there you go. So um, overall, we're looking at a body of water 2,000 kilometers in, in length, starting in the uh, Babel Mandeb Straits down south in the southern Red Sea, extending all the way north to uh, Eilat and Aqaba in the northern part of the Gulf of Aqaba. It's a unique system of reefs. I tend to tease my Australian friends and colleagues by saying that uh, our reefs are actually the largest coral reef on Earth. And they're used to thinking that the Great Barrier Reef, the Australian Great Barrier Reef, is the, uh, the largest. So this is uh, really amazing to consider this sheer size of over 4,000 kilometers of reefs. And give us a sense of how biodiverse they are. Are they including lots of coral species? Do they support a big variety of wildlife? 
Reefs of the uh, Northern Red Sea and the Gulf of Aqaba are among the uh, richest reefs on Earth, but we have to uh, also consider the fact that uh, over the course of evolution that um, these organisms uh, shared, a lot of uh, chemistry developed. And so these chemical interactions are also a source for pharmaceutical products. So it's not only the beauty, it's the importance being the uh, largest pharmacy on earth. And uh, especially these days, this is uh, very important. So it's not only the livelihood, the, uh, the fisheries the, and, uh, and tourism that they uh, support, it's also that uh, huge pharmacy. I'm sure you must have had a whole load of memorable dives on those reefs, but it would be lovely to hear how you get out to them, what it's like when you get in the water. And, and I don't know whether you are snorkeling or whether you're going under with a tank, and, and, but when you get to see them and what that view is like, could you take, just walk us through it or swim us through it? I'll be happy to. In fact, it's so easy here when my students and I decide to hop in the water to look at any given phenomena on the reef. It takes us about five minutes to be in the water, all suited, geared up and ready to dive. It's that easy. This is making our lab and the Inter-University Institute where we are at. We jump off the pier or off the shore here. And within a minute, we are on a highly diverse coral reef. It's so beautiful. And so from the arid desert next to us, one of the most impoverished ecosystems, within two minutes you're in one of the most diverse and richest uh, ecosystem on Earth. And this transition is always so fascinating. I wonder if you can remember when you personally became aware of the potential threats to coral reefs. Unfortunately, the phenomena started in the uh, 80s, in the early 80s, the phenomena of uh, reef degradation with uh, coral bleaching. And so as a student, I was already aware of the risk. But back then, it happened uh, every few years, and it, there was a, a thought that Maybe even every decade, there will be one or two bleaching events. However, as you may know, in the last five years, there were three such major events, bleaching events that killed vast areas of the uh, Australian Great Barrier Reef and other reefs in, in the world. So uh, it is increasing in uh, intensity and frequency. What is it that's happening to a coral reef when it is subjected to an episode of this bleaching you talk about? When the um, seawater temperature is uh, rising, the special symbiosis between the uh, coral, the animal, and the unicellular algae that lives inside the tissue at uh, great density, densities of over a million per square centimeter of these tiny algae that live in its tissue and supplying it with most of the uh, required energy, this Symbiosis ceases to exist, the uh, partners separate, and then the coral animal becomes deprived of sugar, which is what the algae are supplying it with. And it eventually will uh, either starve to death or remain unhealthy for a long time and may recover if conditions return to normal soon afterwards. But that's usually not the case. Yeah, unfortunately, in many cases, we see that. Uh, Following starvation, these corals will die, and with it, many, many species that make reefs what they are. 
let's get on to your research. What were you trying to understand? And tell us how you carried out your experiments. We saw what was going on in the Great Barrier Reef and other places. And uh, this wasn't the case here. We were curious uh, why that is. The Gulf Aqaba is warming. In fact, it's warming at a greater rate than the global trend. Yet, we've never witnessed any bleaching event. So we started conducting these experiments where we elevated the temperature in our Red Sea simulator. This is an aquaria uh, facility simulator future conditions in the Red Sea, uh, increasing the, uh, the temperature in over 80 tanks where we subjected corals from different species to the uh, projected uh, conditions in 10, 20, 50 years and looked at the physiological responses. So we're pumping water from the sea. We are ramping up the, the temperature by one, two or three degrees above the ambient conditions. So it's what corals are facing at the moment in the sea plus one or two degrees. And this is how we started looking at the physiological responses over weeks, months, and even a year-long experiment. Since we knew that the, uh, the bleaching rule states that one to two degrees above the summer maximum is likely to cause bleaching, this is the scenario we've used. And there was nothing. They were happy. This is where the story began. So we continued and tried three degrees and then four degrees and five degrees and six and seven. And then they started showing signs of uh, stress and bleaching. And we were amazed. In fact, we were sure that we were wrong. How can it be that everywhere else corals will bleach at uh, one to two degrees above the summer maximum? Yet here, even for extended periods of time, uh, you can expose them easily to five and six degrees above summer maximum. Do you have any thoughts or any evidence for why these corals seem to be so extraordinarily resistant to heat rises, to temperature rises in the water, whereas corals elsewhere aren't? I think I do. And we have to remember that during the last glacial maximum, it is about 20,000 years ago, seawater retreats towards the pole. And sea level drops by about 120 meters below what it is right now, which means that the uh, Red Sea is mostly isolated from the uh, Indian Ocean and the uh, oceans in general. So the uh, conditions here become hostile for most of the organisms in the Red Sea, and uh, most of them uh, perish. And only about... Um, Eight, seven thousand years ago, when sea level returns to what it is more or less nowadays, organisms return to the Red Sea, including corals. They enter the Red Sea through the narrow and shallow straits of Babel Mandeb, and they have to find a place to first settle, reach sexual maturity, which takes about 10 years, and then progress in a stepping stone manner northward towards the uh, northern Red Sea and the Gulf of Aqaba. Only the ones that uh, survived the very hot conditions in the southern Red Sea, what is today uh, Eritrea, Djibouti, uh, Yemen on the other side, 
are the corals that uh, could survive, reach sexual maturity, reproduce, and migrate northward. So, in fact, they were selected to very high temperatures in the Southern Red Sea, yet today they live in relatively cool conditions that are six to seven degrees below what they were selected for in the Northern Red Sea. And this explains why when we put them experimentally under conditions that are similar to what they were adapted to down south, they even perform better physiologically. The photosynthesis of the, the symbionts and the general physiology of the, of the coral is doing better than what it is under normal conditions here in the northern uh, Gulf of Aqaba. Of course, this hypothesis, which we still have to prove genetically, to show indeed that they were selected for higher uh, temperature. This is clearly a really fascinating curiosity for those reefs in the Gulf of Aqaba. But do you think it might have implications for reefs perhaps elsewhere? You know what? This is the uh, number one question we are being asked. Can these reefs really save the rest of the uh, reefs of the world? And the answer is probably no. Uh, I think there's a, an amazing opportunity here. Uh, we definitely have to secure the reefs of the uh, northern Red Sea and the Gulf of Aqaba for future generations by removing local local stress, local uh, disruptions. But we cannot really promise at this stage to take cores from here and plant them elsewhere. Remember that part of the trick of these super cores is the fact that they were adapted to relatively high temperature down south and migrated and settled in relatively cool water in the northern part of the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aqaba. However, if we'll take them from here and replant them, transplant them to uh, the Great Bear Reef, for example, especially the northern part, the northern section of the Great Bear Reef, we bring them back to very uh, warm conditions and they're likely to bleach there like any other coral. Moreover, uh, technically, this is quite complex. We're looking at uh, over 100 species of corals that were selected here for high thermal tolerance and are doing well. It will be very difficult to run this forestation or reforestation uh, exercise uh, elsewhere by transplanting hundreds of species to a different uh, location. It's so much easier to keep them intact than to really transplant them. What is the sort of further research that you think really needs to get done now to really work through what you've discovered and see what those sort of broader implications might be? There's an amazing uh, opportunity here to uh, secure one relatively large uh, reef for future generations. And uh, we have to do that by removing local stress. And this can be done only in collaboration with all the countries around this narrow body of water. And then we are trying to better understand the, the corals and the genes, the genetic toolbox that they carry how it changes along the uh, Red Sea from the Bab el Madhab Straits all the way to the northern part of the, uh, the Gulf of Aqaba. 
and again, uh, a few uh, borders on the way, but I'm, I'm sure that with the uh, with collaborators from the various countries, we can do it. And this is imperative to understand how abilities are changing along the gradient. It, it's fascinating because you're basically moving in time, starting in the relatively cool water of the uh, Gulf of Aqaba, heading south into the future, into very warm water down south. So, so this allows us to study major changes in, in space and time. And I, I find it fascinating. This is something we've already started and hoping to um, continue past COVID, of course. Just finally, Maus, if I can, are you worried about getting attention for the climate crisis while this pandemic plays out globally? I'm wondering whether it really overshadows all these other problems that we should be dealing with. You know, we had one example um, in Australia when one of the largest and most severe uh, bleaching events started in, in February, right, with the pandemic. And uh, while most of the human population was busy with COVID, the Great Bear Reef from to its very southern part bleached severely. This is the first time that the entire Great Bear Reef is, is bleaching all, all at the same time. And uh, this was, of course, crazy to realize that no one cares at that time. However, um, I'm pretty sure that this is uh, going to be uh, behind us soon, I hope. But uh, climate change is, uh, is here to stay. And uh, we will have to adapt if we want to still enjoy what we have here today. Miles, it's been great to hear some positive news about corals, even if it does only apply to those ones in the Gulf of Aqaba. Thank you so much for explaining it to us. It's, it's really fascinating and, and good luck with it going forwards. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you and I invite you to visit here, of course. Come, uh, come dive with us. I can't imagine doing something that enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like another world. It is. It is actually a, another world. Thanks again to Mao's Fine. See you next time on Science Weekly. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.